0: Well, Leah and I have been married, that, that was the, the beautiful girl in the middle, woman in the middle, Pastor Leah, have been married going on 18 years, 18 years, and, uh, and look, um, honestly, I can say I'm more in love now than ever, I have more fun more now than ever after three kids, I've got teenagers, and I still can't wait to go on a date with this girl, like all the time, it's true, it's true. It helps that she's hot, but she's, it's true. <laughs> but I must say, I must say that there are traps in marriage. Everybody that was married, you were like, yep, I know. There are traps in marriage. So, like, when she's quiet and you ask what, what's wrong and she says nothing, I'm fine, that's a trap. <laughs> when she says, we don't have to do anything for Valentine's Day or my birthday, that's a trap. She doesn't mean it. It's a trap. Don't take the bait. Look at your neighbor and say, "Don't don't take the bait. When she says, does this look good on me? It always does, but that's a trap. That's a trap. When she tells you that something's wrong and it's very clear the problem and you open your big mouth to try to solve the problem, that's a trap. She doesn't want you to have a solution to the problem. She just wants you to listen about the problem. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. I know we're fixers, but she is just like, let me vent, and I want you to say, man, that sucks. I want you to agree with me. That's all she wants. I've learned after 18 years, don't take the bait. We all know that you've got the solution. She doesn't want to hear it. When she asks you, where do you want to eat? Don't take the bait. She doesn't really care where you want to eat. She wants you to get in your mind where you want to eat and prove that you love her by changing your mind because it's not where she wants to eat. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't, don't take the bait. How many of you know that communication is paramount when it comes to relationships? Communication is so important. This takes work. If you can spell marriage, I think it would be spelled W-O-R-K. Marriage is work. And so are any other relationship. Because what happens is if you don't, if you don't notice it, over time, small offenses can create division. It's not one big offense. It's small offenses over time create a barrier and a wall. And this is what happens with relationships when we don't deal with those small offenses. Uh, Listen, it is paramount that we communicate when it comes to relationships. You know, it's something that you have to learn that... uh, how to talk to somebody, when to talk to somebody, because to be just real, there are times when we're tired and we don't need to talk. There are times when we need to talk, but listen, I've heard it all the time, I've heard, heard it all the time, like, you know, my parents never fought. They never fought, but they slept in separate rooms. Oh, we never fight. Well, when's the last time you've been on a date night? It was like two years ago at Applebee's, right? Sometimes it takes a little tension to get things worked out in relationships. But the problem is we don't like tension, we don't like confrontation, we don't like conflict. We avoid the small offenses and they build up over time. And those offenses turn into judgments and those judgments turn into bitterness. And that bitterness turns into division. And if you don't watch it, the enemy will have his way by you taking the bait. You know, it's over time that sin will get to you. You know, they say in Alaska that they try to get rid of wolves, right? And this is how they get rid of wolves. They will get a rabbit, and they will cut the rabbit open. They will put razor blades in the rabbit and freeze the rabbit and put it in ice, And as soon as the wolf smells the blood he will begin to lick that rabbit not knowing that the razor is cutting him the whole time because it's too cold how many of you know that over time if you keep a fence your heart will grow cold and the wolf will actually eventually kill itself drown in his own blood because he has such a lust for this blood, such a desire that he's fulfilling, his heart gets cold and his very desire caused his end. And for us, offense is a bait of Satan. To be offended actually fulfills your flesh. It actually, to be offended it uh, it fulfills your flesh and if we want to have healthy relationships a healthy marriage the bottom line is this it takes selfless love but this is the problem this is the issue this is the dilemma we are all by nature selfish <laughs> and if you're single and you're like I'm not selfish wait till you get married and then you'll realize you're selfish When you think of the origin of sin, what do you think of? When you think the very beginning of sin, what do you think of? A lot of people, they go straight to Adam and Eve. And that's that's a good point. But the very OG, the very original sinner is actually Lucifer, Satan himself. Before men ever came to be, there was God and his angels... And Lucifer was an angel of light. The Bible says in Ezekiel, he was actually a worship leader. He was the most beautiful angel in heaven, but he deceived himself and he began to look at God and look at what he actually says to God and about God in Isaiah 14, two through 15. I want to test you right now. I know you're not in school, but I want you to look at an ongoing theme in this scripture. See if you see an ongoing phrase or theme and then catch on to it. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will ascend. Exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Shaul, to the lowest depths of the pit. Do y'all see a theme here? I will. I will. Me. Selfishness. It's about me. This is about me. It's not about God, it's about me. Me, 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 mine, mine. That's like one of the first words we ever learned, mine. I wish it was daddy or mama. It's not, it's mine. That's mine, right? And it's true that uh, in our lives, what God has done, see, when the enemy sinned, he literally slandered one third of the angels and got them to go with him out of heaven. Isn't that amazing? Look at the deception. The enemy caused two things, or really three things. He caused deceit, deception, and ultimately division. He literally slandered one-third of the angels. You can read that in Revelations 12, 4. And God, because he was wanting to be opposite of God, he literally made himself go into darkness and it was called the pit or hell. And God never intended for humans to go into hell. Hell is literally a place without God. Hell is literally a existence of That God is not there. It was not intended for you and me. It was intended that the enemy had to go away. And in hell, there is a thing that's called a lust without any fulfillment. It is literally hell is like having an itch that you cannot scratch. Now, this could be kind of heavy. I'm not trying to be be heavy today. But we have to see that when God made humans... When God made humans in Adam and Eve, he wanted them to do one thing. He said, "He said, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, subdue, take dominion or reign the earth. Say reign. God literally put humans on the earth to have a relationship with God and have dominion over the enemy. That was his original intent, that men had a relationship with God and would have be able to... Uh, have power over the enemy, conquer the enemy, and listen, the enemy, when he looks at us because we're made in his image, literally hates us because we remind him of God. So what did the enemy do? The enemy does what he does best. He tries to deceive. Say deceive. What did he want to do? He, because men had the crown and authority of the earth, the enemy stepped in and knew if he could deceive them, he could take the crown off of them and put the crown on himself. He would actually rule in the earth, sin would actually infiltrate man, and we would be multiplying a sinful nature apart from God. That was his main original intent. He said, did God really say don't eat from that tree it's deceit then he starts to bring in his uh, he starts to bring in his division and he starts to say the truth is God is really trying to hold out on you God's he's trying to hold out on you and all of a sudden dissension happens see this is how the enemy works then he says go ahead and do that nothing nothing's bad's going to happen and they take this fruit, and the Bible says that sin entered man, and we actually now are born into sin. Now, you might be a good person. You could be the best person on the face of the earth, but you were born with sin. You have the nature of sin because the enemy tricked us, tricked Adam. And he, How many of you know when you go to heaven, how many of you want to go straight up to Adam and just slap him, be like, you tricked us, you, you? Just slap them. You messed it up for all of us because we were born in this nature of sin. And if you're saying, what, what does this culture look like today? Look, look at what it looks like today. All right, I'm going to read two scriptures. Is that okay? Are you all still into the Bible? Can I read scriptures? Okay. All right. I want to read two scriptures. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3. It says, it wasn't long ago that you lived in religious customs and values of the world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm that fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently, say diligently, in the hearts of those that are disobedient to the truth of God, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of self-life. Say self-life. So the enemy's objective was to get you infiltrated with sin so that you can literally be separated with God and that division and separation is actually in your nature. Because now we have the enemy's nature, which is the selfish nature. How many of you are gl- glad that Jesus came on the scene to change our nature? We don't have to live in that nature because the in- God, Jesus, gave us an antidote for the wrong nature and it's called the blood of Jesus not only does he cover your sin and cleanse your sin he changes your nature into his divine nature that's what Ephesians says that we actually partake into the divine nature of God he literally reversed the curse in our life what the enemy meant for evil God turned it around for good The infiltration of sin that came from one man, the Bible says there was a second man who was Jesus that turned it around and now allowed us to reign in life. I don't know if you you are excited as I am, because when I look at what Jesus did on the cross, I begin to realize that I don't have to be oppressed. I don't have to live with the dictates of my own sinful nature, that Jesus has reversed the curse, given me his nature so that I can overcome the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If you believe it, give God a hand today. Second Timothy, you know, a lot of people, you know, they hear wars and rumors of wars, and people are like, the end is coming, the end is coming. <laughs> but you know what a, uh, a, literally the title in your Bible, the end times, let's look at what the end times actually looks like. Second Timothy 3, 1 through, 12, 1 through 5, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. And they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless and puffed up with pride. And the love of pleasure rather than God, they will act religious. Listen to this. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly and stay away from people like that. Can I tell you the power that makes us godly is the power of the cross? The power of what Jesus did in our life. We cannot just pull up our bootstraps and because of willpower be godly. It's only by the grace of God and understanding what Jesus did on the cross as a covenant for us to overcome this sinful, selfish nature. And I believe when we come into faith with this, we begin to understand covenant. We will begin to see our lives and our relationships a lot more whole and healthy. Now, when we talk about covenant today, you know, we can think of like a mortgage or something like that. Uh, You know, like I put a down payment, I sign my name, but, you know, if I don't pay it, then it's bankruptcy and blah, 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 blah. How many of you know that back in this day, that covenant was a lot bigger deal back then? Now, I I want to explain covenant back in the day because actually God used this so that we can understand covenant. We can understand what it means to have a agreement. It is, it is a binding agreement between two people. Can I, can I give an example really quick? Um, who's somebody, who's a guy in here that has a jacket? I need two guys that has a jacket. Come on. Two guys, let's, let's ed, edge them on. Come on, let's give them a hand. Come on up. If you got a jacket, we got one right here. We got one right here. Some bold people here. Bold people. So, this is literally, you can come on stage, come into the light. You can stand over here, and, uh, and you can stand right here. What's your name, man? John. John. I like the ring. It's awesome. What's up, man? Okay. I love the jacket, man. All right. This is, how, this is how covenant was done back in the day. Now, first of all, there was this agreement. Say you're a farmer, and you have produce. I mean you've got the best produce, right? And you you make weapons. So you got a whole armory, you've got all the weapons you need. You need weapons, but you need produce. So what y'all would do is you would come into covenant. You would come into agreement and what this meant was that you would actually exchange each other's last names and everything that belonged to him came to you. And everything that belonged to you came to him. Pretty good deal. Now, back in the day, they did something weird called, you've ever heard back in the day, blood brothers. We don't do it because there's disease there. But what they would do is they would cut themselves. They would cut themselves, and the blood would actually mingle. Say mingle. The blood would actually mingle, and God was always a God of blood. A blood covenant. He always used blood. The punishment for sin was always sacrifice and blood. And this is how covenant was made. Then they would take they would take their jacket off. Sorry, they take their jacket off. And they would. I hope y'all wear around the same size. Uh, and they would take the jacket off and they would exchange jackets. Right? They would exchange jackets. You could put on the biker jacket. You put on the farmer jacket. And um, <laughs> I like that jacket by the way. Um, Now, this is signifying that y'all are literally taking on each other's possessions. You are now, you have now become a part of the family. Then you would get a bull or a sacrifice and you would cut it in half. You would lay it on the ground and you would walk around it looking at each other in a figure eight and begin to discuss the covenant that you made and the curse that would happen if you broke it. The curse would actually signify the pieces on the ground. It would say, let me actually look like this if I break covenant with you. Covenant was a big deal back in the day. Then they would say, let's put this to rest We're going to plant a tree, and they would plant a tree in the middle of where they actually sacrificed that uh, down payment, and this would become what we now know of a family tree. A family tree was always a monument signifying that these two families came into one, and it was the tree, it was the covenant to remind you that you share his last name, you share his blood, you are literally one now. When you go to battle, I go to battle. When you are struggling, I struggle, because now we share each other's last name. That's how they did covenant. Let's give them a hand. Y'all can give each, each other's Jacket's back and be seated. Thank you, man. Thank you. They're actually wanting to exchange jackets now. Have a real covenant going on. (laughs) Why is this important? Because if we want to overcome offense and selfishness in our life, we have to truly know what Jesus did on the cross for us. I want you to see something. That we all carry sin, we all carry selfishness, and Jesus was perfect. He was the per- He's the perfect lamb. When Jesus went to the cross, he literally said, I am, number one, putting my nature in you. I'm paying the price for your sin. The sin that you have, I'm going to take it on the cross and show you how much I love you. What you have, I am putting it on myself, and I am paying the price. This price This price, the the sacrifice that was made, I am paying the price, but everything that I deserve and everything that I have, I'm giving it to you. I don't know about you, but that's a good deal. And he said, I'm going to make an exchange. If you believe in my covenant, the Bible says that those that are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those that are being saved, it is the very power of God. And I'm telling you today, if you believe in the covenant that Jesus made, you will begin to overcome the world in your life. Yeah, give God a hand if you believe it. God says there's going to be an exchange you're gonna carry my nature you're gonna have what what I deserve and I'm taking what you deserve to show you how much I love you and if you ever forget about it I want you to look at that tree that I died on the cross this is your family tree I want you to remember the cross is not a religious statement or something you put around the necklace a cross signifies the power of God coming on the earth taking your sin and giving you his nature so that you can have authority over the enemy if you believe it give God a hand For five seconds today. So we begin to believe in the cross in this exchange. And we rely on the cross to get rid of selfishness. See, if you want the grace to not to take the bait, then you need to think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you want the grace To not take the bait, you need to remember the price that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. It's easy to offend when we forget our own offenses. It's easy to get offended at those and point fingers at those when we forget all the things that Jesus took and paid for. How many of you want to remember the cross and rely on the cross? Thank God I don't have to carry the sin of my past. Thank God I don't have to live at the nature of my my impulse and inclinations. Thank God that he has given me a way out. Thank God that I have the power working inside of me, that he's finishing the work that he started, that his blood that was shed is continually working in me. Thank God. Thank God. When I remember where I came from, it's easier to forgive where I am. Because he paid the price. We are all guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need forgiveness. All of us. And so we have this thing. Listen, I I even preach this, you know. in, in, Mark, in Matthew 22, the Bible says to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love yourself in order to love your neighbor. But don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Because we have Christians today that are focusing more on self. But God said if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So we have a culture that's putting up unhealthy boundaries when you actually need people in your life and you're claiming that you're loving yourself, but loving people is a secondary consequence of loving God. And if you love God, if you want to love yourself, you got to begin to follow your Father. Because it is green pastures that he'll lead you into, and sometimes it's not what you want or you feel. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And we have allowed this thing of selfishness into the church knowing that we do need to take care of yourself. Sleep is important. Your family is important. Boundaries are important. But don't get it twisted. To follow Jesus is to deny yourself. And I can't deny myself unless I rely on the power of the cross and believe that Jesus' faithfulness and what he paid for is actually in my nature and it empowers me to be faithful because I have the nature of Jesus Christ running through my spirit. Do you believe that? So when I'm not feeling faithful, I'm not feeling like I, I, I'm feeling selfish. I go back to that place where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he shed his blood from his forehead, which paid the price for all of my rebellion. And now I actually, even though I have these feelings, I receive the benefits of his faithfulness in my life. Isn't that good news? He's faithful even when we're not faithful. Listen, if you have somebody faithful in the job, guess what? You're going to protect them. If you have somebody faithful in the job, guess what? You're going to give them grace. If you have somebody faithful in the job, you're going to promote them. And even though you were unfaithful but Jesus was faithful, God is going to protect you. He's going to give you grace. And he will even promote you when you don't even deserve it. Because he's good. He's good. And he's faithful. It is the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. If you want to keep binding yourself and beating yourself up, go live back in the Old Testament. But I have news for you that Jesus came and he planted a family tree so that we can overcome the enemy and the world. It's power in the cross. There's power in the cross. It's power in the cross. Do we give others forgiveness and grace the way God has given it to us? You know what I love about the body of Christ? The Bible says when you begin to meet with others that are believers, that God actually begins to speak in the midst. He's actually in the midst. The other day, my son did something. uh, He he didn't do something right in school, and I just went to default. Have you ever gone to default? Have you ever been driving somewhere and you're, you, you actually moved? You moved, but you were in the zone, you were on autopilot, and then you actually were driving in the direction that you're just naturally used to go? It's called autopilot. But you don't live there anymore. A lot of us have autopilot with our nature. And the Holy Spirit will remind you, you don't live there anymore. And my son did something the other day, and I'm telling you, Listen, I love my dad. We have a great relationship today, but we it was rough. It was like, you know, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child at another level. You know what I mean? It was rough. He let me have it. He let me have it. But he actually went through things with his father. His father used to beat him. He was a war vet, used to beat him and we had this Contention, We would fight and he would just let me have it. He was very successful and when he would come home, there would be a list. Brrr, you didn't do this. And I'd be like, it's good to know you too. Right? And he'll tell you this today. He would give me a list and he would let me have it. There was a moment when, when I was about 19 years old. My, my dad went to church or whatever. I, I rebelled against God. There was a moment when I was around 19 years old that my dad had an encounter with the Father, the Father heart of God, and he literally changed. The way he talked to me, the way that he went about things, he literally changed. He was patient, he was peaceful, and I was like, Dear Lord, there's a God. The other day, my son, he did something that, and he's here, he wouldn't care that I'm saying this. He, at school, he did something to school, and man, I let him have it. And I'm telling you, I felt good about it. I mean, I let him have it. To the point where he was welling up in tears, and I, I just went to default like I was younger. And like, you cry? You, you think this is crying? That you, you, I'm glad you're crying. Feel it. I'm just being real. Can I be real with you today? Or, or you know, you can be... Uh, Everybody everybody in here can be Jesus' third cousin, and you don't do anything wrong. (laughs) Direct descendant of, uh, you know, the apostles. But I let them have it, and I was sitting down. I didn't even recognize it. This is default. This is autopilot. I sat down to actually mentor somebody for lunch, and while I am talking to him about the love of God, And how patient God is, and how patient God is with me, and how he speaks to me, and how he gently gives answers. I saw the face of my son in his eyes. And I said, God, I repent, I said, Lee, I got to pick up Noah, and I got to say I'm sorry. If you can't be perfect, be sorry. apologize. Because the truth of the matter is hurt people hurt people. I I am healed, but I'm in a process. And if you don't realize you can go back to defaults and you are the way that you are because the decisions you've made in a heightened state of emotion and thoughts that are embedded in you and you will begin to treat others the way that you actually were treated. And if you don't watch it and if you don't go to the cross and get those roots out, you will always have the fruit of destruction and division in your life. I picked up my son I was like, son, that's not how God is. I know him. That's not how he is. I meant what I said, that you need to work harder and you don't need to procrastinate. I meant what, you, you've got it, you've got all the goods. You've got all the goods. I believe in you. I'll back you up. But that anger and the way I went about that, that's not God. Can I remind you that all of God's anger towards sin was put on Jesus at the cross so that you can know that you can look at God and know the lens that we have is that God is good and God is love. He's a good father. And Jesus came on the earth to demonstrate the love of the Father. And so I want to give you today, as Trey comes and plays, so everybody thinks I'm about to close. I'm going to give you today some quick steps of forgiveness. Can I give that to you today? Because listen, holding on to unforgiveness and having like this revenge, holding on to that. I heard somebody say it's like setting yourself on fire and hoping the person that you're mad at dies because of smoke, ventilation. Holding on to unforgiveness is literally like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. Unforgiveness is a prison, and it confines you. And if you don't deal with it, it only multiplies. You think it's towards one person, but it actually spreads. And that one root there can actually cause a whole bunch of fruit in your life that you don't want. I want to give you five steps. And they're come from Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Aren't you glad that God was patient with us? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive who? Anyone, even your boss. Some of you just got that. Remember the Lord forgave you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live at peace and always be thankful. I believe if we were thankful for the strengths of the people that are closest to us, we'll be more uh, will be less inclined to pick out their faults. So number one, the steps to forgiveness. Number one, use a mirror, not a magnifying glass. When you're offended, look at yourself before you start to use a magnifying glass to other people. The Bible says that you get offended with the speck in somebody else's eye, but you got a big fat log in your own. Sometimes when I change, everything changes. We do this. We we look in a mirror because we go to God and we ask God for grace. We go to his word and sometimes during offense, even when there's something going on with my wife and I, sometimes I just say, God, I, I I can't do it. I need your help. Look at me, search my heart like David, search my heart. I need a heart change. I want to remember what you did on the cross. And when I remember what he did on the cross, it gives me the grace for a soft heart remember who you are without jesus you know that crazy relative that you don't like shows up to christmas and ruins everything that's you without jesus (laughs) number two remember that you've never walked in their shoes you've never walked in their shoes They might have wronged you big time, but remember, hurt people, hurt people. Rejected people, reject people. I can't judge because I'm no better because I've never walked in their shoes. Matthew 7, 1 through 2. Do not judge others and you will not be judged judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard For judging is the standard by which you are judged. Do you know why a majority of people feel heavy in condemnation all the time? Because they are actually critical and they point fingers and it is a spiritual reality. When you're judging somebody, you're taking the place of God and that judgment is coming back on you. That's why you feel heavy. Let it go. Let it go. I would sing the song, but I can't sing. But let it go. Number three, separate the sin from the person. What did Jesus say? Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'm separating the sin from the person. View them, view them the way that God views them. Can you do it? We can't view people the way that God views them when we have a log of offense in our eye. How does God view them? Number four, this is when it gets real. Number four, it gets real, real. Number four, pray for them and bless them. Jesus said, you know, people love people that love them. That's one level of love. But what about those that are their enemies and they ask to carry a bag for a mile? He says, carry it two miles. Your enemies, your enemies, this has been a challenge for me. I have to go to the cross. I have to go to the cross and say, I got to separate the person. Your father that abused you, you got to separate the sin from the person. What you are seeing, he is 100% wrong. Or your mother, what you're seeing is a hurt person hurt people, but you're going to get healed so that now you are a loved person that loves and an accepted person that accepts. You're breaking the curse and you're starting a new family tree. Division will not linger in your home. Now unity will surround you because you are relying on the family tree. I remember there was a guy, there was actually an organization that literally stole from us hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally stole from us. I was mad. I wanted to put the old self back on, you know what I'm saying? I was mad. And it was when a hurricane hit and I heard one of the people that stole and the family members that stole, that their house was devastated. Can I be honest? For a split second I got happy. And for a split second, I thought, they deserve that. The Holy Spirit convicted me and said, what if you get everything you deserve? I'd be in trouble. Holy Spirit said, get a crew and go fix their house. I was like, is that Satan? Is that I can tell you, when we got there, you felt the love of God, and he started something special. To this day, that relationship is restored. They've actually been blessing us since that time. Don't give people what they deserve, because you'll get what you deserve. The Bible says, actually bless them. And uh, if they're totally wrong, God, it will be like a fire in their lap. You're like, yes, I'm going to bless them now. <laughs> and the fifth one is this, and we're going to close. Make the relationship right and create healthy boundaries. When we first moved here, there was a, I had a major disagreement with somebody, and it got pretty heated. Got pretty heated, and I was right. I'm just joking. (laughs) I thought I was right. That's that's the problem, right? Uh, There was a point, there was a point that I had to say, okay, I see your point, you see mine. We've talked it out. Let's agree to disagree, hug each other, and move on. There's a point as believers that we need to agree to disagree And not only be unified with ones that look like us, think exactly like us, do what we do. Here, I'm going to give you an example. Just because you're a Republican doesn't mean you only love Republicans. Just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you only love Democrats. Just because you're Baptist doesn't mean you don't love Presbyterians. Just because you're Catholic doesn't mean you don't love Protestants. How many of you know that we're all different but made in the image of God? And if we can start to put our differences behind us, we can agree to disagree with some things, love people, and move forward. As a matter of fact, the more people you surround yourself that does not look like you, the stronger you will become, and you will notice you will get further in life because that's how God intended it. God said, what if the whole body was one big eye? How crazy would that be? You need toes, you need arms, you need, and don't surround yourself with people who are just like you. That is a small life. Begin to branch out and love people where they are, even if they don't agree with everything that you do and say. And I say, I say to make the relationship right and have healthy boundaries because The Bible says if you go to worship God and you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. You might need a conversation with somebody. That somebody that even wronged you, but maybe you slandered them, maybe you had a bad attitude with them. I preached something like this about 10 years ago, and there was a a man that called me and said, I want you to know that I called my dad. I haven't talked to him my whole life, and I apologize for the bitterness that I had in my life, and it changed my life. We're in relationship today, and his father actually passed away. He was able to get in relationship because he let the bitterness go in his heart, and God literally can start to restore it. And I say create healthy boundaries because there are people that you don't need to be close in your life. You can forgive an abuser, but this doesn't mean that you don't guard your heart. So ask the Holy Spirit to set up healthy boundaries. But when you think of them, you know how I can tell if you forgave somebody? If you think of them and your face goes like this. That's literally bitterness. If you bit into a a lemon, same face. That's how you know if you forgave them or not. Get to a point when you hear their name and you smile and think about how you can bless them. Come on, if you want to receive that, just stand up right where you are. I'm going to say a prayer for you. If you're here today and you said, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm here to tell you he's a good father. And one prayer, the Bible says that he will begin to erase your sins as far as the east is to the west. They are no more. We have a team that is praying together with you today. If you're far away from God, say this prayer with me. Say it after me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And that you rose again. I turn away from my own way. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you all the days of my life. The Bible says that that one prayer, your sins go as far as the east is to the west. They are no more and you are a new creation. All old things are passed away. All things become new in your life, starting today. Congratulations. The Bible says that when one person repents and turns to God, all of the heavens rejoice. Church 54, can we rejoice in heaven today for those that said that prayer on the count of three? Come on. We thank you, God. You're a good God. You're an awesome Father. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I need to let go of some bitterness, the small offenses, well, it's not a big deal. No, don't be the wolf with the rabbit. The small offenses, the small buildups, the small things, maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's with a parent, maybe it's with your child, maybe it's with your boss, maybe it's with your friend. I wanna encourage you today to let that offense go. We do that by seeing what Jesus did on the cross for us. Let's go back to that family tree right where you are with everybody's eyes closed right now. Let's picture what Jesus did on the cross It wasn't the Roman guards that put him on the cross. It was our sin that put him on the cross. Can you just right where you are, thank him for taking your sins and putting them on the cross. Right where you are, thank you, Jesus, that you took my sin. Now, that bitterness that you're holding on to, when you're forgiving the forgiveness that you've received from Jesus, right now, I want you to let go of that offense. I want you to literally picture yourself dropping that offense at the cross and leaving it at the cross. And let God speak to your heart whether how to get it right, whether it is, it is in your heart right now. If you need to make a phone call if, or if you need to bless them right now, let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now on what to do. Just lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you. And I believe that in this time of worship at the end, God's going to speak to your heart of what kind of boundaries and what kind of things that you need to do in your life to get rid of this unforgiveness. Lift your hands right where you are. Lord, I thank you for a grace that you've given us, a grace that we don't deserve, Lord. And Lord, right now, we give people grace. Right now, we forgive. Say this after me. Say, Jesus, give me the grace to let go of all offense. Thank you for forgiving me. Now I release all unforgiveness in my life.